Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. That's right, this is that bloody podcast. What was that all about, Sean? <laughs> Mark Allen, Paul Mark Allen's there at home going through the broadcasting categorization of swear words just to see if you're going to get a fine as well. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mark Allen's not aware of the subclause of the World Snooker Tour organization. When you've been a board member, you can't be fined for anything. Is that right? Yeah. For, if you're wondering what we're talking about, for anyone who's been living under a rock for the last couple of days, we have a champion on the podcast, don't we? Congratulations, Sean. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and a, very, very quickly, a, a massive, massive thank you to everybody who's got in touch because through the podcast accounts that we run, our own personal social like mine's been on fire the last 24 hours and it's just been incredible thank you so much to everyone that has taken the time to get in touch it really has meant the world and i you know obviously can't reply to every single one but i do see most of them uh, and um it just means so much there's been so many people have stuck by me and stood with me you know through these last couple of seasons that have been so difficult and um it's been a real tough journey, but I'm so pleased that, you know, we stayed the course. And it is a we. You know, it isn't just me. I know I'm the person people see potting the balls. There's more people on my team than just me. Uh, and uh, they do know who they are. Uh, and uh, I'm very, very thankful. So, yeah, uh, start the podcast with uh, a feeling of intense gratitude. Uh, and um, I suppose it still hasn't stung in yet, yeah. to be honest. Well, do you know what? Forget. I mean, Sean won the Players' Championship last night, if, if anyone missed it. Um, live on ITV4. Incredible. You know, 
I, I sent you a message earlier today taking the mick with the, the seven highest breaks that were made in the tournament. Sean made f- six of them. I think Joe O'Connor sneaked in there at number six. Cheeky little Joe O'Connor. But that was on the back of last week when you were runner-up in, in the Welsh Open as well. We've been saying on this podcast, I think that you're, it's getting a bit of a a bit of a catchphrase of yours, that your game is trending in the right direction. But I think it's certainly trended, isn't it? I saw someone on Twitter recently, they said, if Sean Murphy says I'm trending in the right direction again, I'll be throwing myself off some tall building somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, whoever that was, I'm sorry. Don't go near any tall buildings or, you know, jump out of anything. Oh, oh. Oh no, that's us. In a yeah, that's us in a couple of weeks. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, let's not. Let's not even yeah, go. Don't do, don't do anything silly like jump out of a plane at fifteen thousand feet. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still getting my head around that. Well, you've cemented your place in the Tour Champs. If you get that Monday draw, if you get that Monday draw, we're out of the parachute jump on the Sunday. That's all I'm saying. Come on, Jason Ferguson and everyone at World Snooker Tour, get that yeah. draw done. Get him in on the Monday. Right. Let's please, let's please. rewind. We did a podcast a week and a half ago. Um, I think, yeah, it was about a week and a half ago, while we were in Plandidno for the Welsh Open. Um, at that point, it was the morning you were going to play the quarterfinal in the afternoon. So let's let's rewind a little bit to that, if we can. Now, something people didn't see at home, this was brilliant. We'd been building the Moonwalk Up, right? Since we started the podcast, you said on the very first one, if I get to the final ranking event, I will moonwalk to the table. We've been building it oh, up, no, building it up. Hang on, because that, that makes it sound like I sold myself and sold my soul. I, I was challenged, I think, by either yourself or a listener. Would you, I moonwalk? You mentioned moonwalking, and I said to you, if you reach the ranking event final, will you moonwalk? And you said yes, okay? Now, what people at home didn't get to see, and this was, was absolutely brilliant... Your semi-final on the Saturday night, okay? So I'm up in the media centre because I'm doing the announcing at the Welsh Open. Sean wins his semi-final. He then goes off and he has to do BBC interviews. He has to do Eurosport interviews because there's two broadcasters. He then has to do what they call end, which is where they go in to do the build-up for the next day for the final for BBC and for Eurosport. So I'm sat there for about half an hour, 40 minutes, waiting for Sean to come in so I can interview him for World Snooker Tour. I'm sat there, all of a sudden the door swings open, Sean Murphy moonwalks through it and says, Shamon! <laughs> <laughs> the whole media centre was in fits. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he did the moonwalk. I know, I know. It, it got some criticism. It, was, it wasn't without his criticism. Rightly it, so. Do you know it, the big problem was? The, the, the big problem was, was... Uh, I just want to put this out there. I actually can do the moonwalk. I can, I can do it. Well, you didn't and prove I it on telly. To, <laughs> I, have, I have been known to do it in, in, in clubs and, and bars and, and nightclubs around the world. I can do it. However, I've never done it in front of, you know, a thousand snooker <laughs> live on TV. Yeah. And when the moment came, I was like, it was it was way down the path. I got the first step wrong. What about the second, third, fourth? <laughs> no, you can't you can't stop. What do they say? The show must go on. No, listen, the show hey, has to go on. You I you are stop. you just you know you just introduced us in. I couldn't say. Oh no, sorry. Can you do that? I got the first. It turned into the moon shuffle. It did. You are a man of your word, though. You did it. Okay. So so what we need to do? I've had. Because I have other podcast accounts, okay? I've had so many messages this weekend from people. I've been over in Denmark working this weekend. My phone's been red hot with people saying, is Sean moonwalking again? Is he going to moonwalk again? Is he going to... And I'm, I'm just like, no, it's a one-off. 
You know, he said he'd mean what? First, first family got to. He's done it, right? So what we need to do now is next season, we need to look at what you're going to do. My my, my money's on Riverdance. You, you're living in Dublin, okay? I think Riverdance next year to the table. That'd be brilliant. Next but year. If, 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 you, if, you're, if you're ever sat there watching the snooker and yourself or Rob Walker as the MC and they're injured and you hear the faint whistle of the famous Riverdance music as my new Walker... <laughs> You just you just need to get Michael Flatley on standby. That's I what would, we need. I would love that. That would be tremendous. Anyway, got to the final of the Welsh Open. Um beaten by a very, very good Rob Milkins. He he had a he had a great tournament. He's having a great season actually. He's he's doing really well. I think when I interviewed him afterwards, last season at that point, I think he'd won three games and this season he's won thirty odd. It's phenomenal how Rob's turned it around and I don't think you'll find one, maybe you that night, but I don't think you'll find one person in snooker that isn't happy for Bob, will you? No, absolutely not. No, you wouldn't find anyone uh, who wasn't, you know, thrilled for him. Uh, and, of course, like, I was disappointed to lose. Of course I was. But, um, y- you know, I've lost I've lost finals before, and, I, and I'm going to lose finals since. So uh, once that was dealt with, I was thrilled for him because, I mean, at this stage of the season, most of our matches have got double meanings. We're all thinking about tour champs, qualifications, players champs, uh, champion of champions, end of season rankings, crucible seedings. All matches have more than just a win or a loss about them. Uh, But that match for Rob Milkins was worth, with all the extra and the bet victor bonus and the champion of champions and tours and players champ, once you added the crucible seedings, top six, once you threw everything into the mix, it was worth the bones of £300,000. And and there's only one match in the whole calendar that's worth more to a player than that, and that's the World Championship Final. So to deal with all of that, and to play as well as he did with all of that on his shoulders, I could only shake his hands and, and wish him congratulations because yeah. he fully, fully deserved it. I've I've had a bit of clog as well, to be honest, because I, I introduced him with the, um, you know, still in the running for the bet victor bonus. People are like, did you really need to do that? Did you really need to load that on him? And I'm like, well, I, I sort of did have to reference it. Written, it was as if I'd written your script. <laughs> it's a massive point, though. I mean, it, you know, that the pressure on, on Rob in that match was... Phenomenal, phenomenal pressure. But he came through it, played really, really well, and and won the final. It, like you said, players' championship, champion of champions, probably tour championship, uh, probably seeded at the Crucible. It's amazing, really, what what that's done with opening doors for Rob Milkins, as well as the sheer amount of money he got for it. You know, it, it's absolutely huge, and it could not have happened to a nicer guy than Rob Milkins. He's He's just a lovely guy. I tell you, he looked absolutely shattered as well. I know he didn't sleep very well in Clondidno. He'd said that to me. He looked shattered. I think mentally, it completely did him in. But he got through it. He won it. You were gracious in being the runner-up. And Ali Carter, <laughs> the only way Ali Carter couldn't win the Bet Victor bonus would be if Rob Milkins went all the way through and won the final in Clondidno. He did that. Ali Carter tweeted me or replied to one of my tweets the night before and said, love Bob. And I replied, but I bet you don't love him if he wins tomorrow night. But he was one of the first people to tweet congratulations to him, which I thought was, you know, the guy's just lost a whole heap of money because Rob's won it. But Ali had the good grace to do that. 
And then, of course, you go and beat him last night in the Players' Championship finals. <laughs> you might, not be, might not be on his Christmas card list anymore. <laughs> you and you and Ali, though, have had a great month. I mean, so is Rob, obviously, but, but you two have had a great month. You look at what you've both done. I mean, he runner-up last night for him, but he won the German Masters um, 10 years after he, he first won it. And then runner-up last night as well. You were runner-up in Wales, and then you won last night. Massive month for the pair of you and for Rob Milkins, really. Yeah, massive. Uh, and and it, it seems to go like that for players, doesn't it? They seem to have these spurts and, and little you know periods of good form. Um, and, uh, you know, fair play. I always find when I watch Ali play, and I've known him for a long, long time, obviously, but I, I always find when I watch him play, like he's such a classy operator, the way he strikes the ball, his technique, uh, all the rest of it. Every facet of his game is just top class. Uh, and, and, of course, we're talking about somebody who, you know, uh, been to the final of the Masters, he's been to the latter stages of the UK, he's certainly at least a semi, if not a final, uh, and I think two world finals where he played the Rocket. So, you know, we could be talking about somebody here who could be a, a multiple world champion, a Masters champion and all the rest of it, but for a few results here, here and there that didn't go his way, you know, we're not. But um, somebody who, you know, when, we, when we're totting up the really great players of, of, the, of the last 20 years, you know, Ali Carter's name is in that mix, um, everything he's been through away from snooker, cancer, resurgence of cancer, stood up to it, Crohn's, you know, all of that stuff comes into the mix. He, he, you know, he hasn't had an easy ride. Um, and, and, and he does, I have to say, he takes a bit of stick, I think, you know, uh, on social media and stuff. I think a bit of it's unjust, to be honest. Like, he's a good friend of mine. Um, I, I, I like him a lot. I've had some great times with him. Uh, and he's a really classy guy. So, um, you know, it was great to go up against him in, in the final. We shook hands uh, and we went at it. We had a good tear up. And, and this weekend, I, you know, I came out on top of it. Other, other times I won't. And in fact, I, I actually didn't realise I was up Brian early on the Sunday morning. I was too excited. Uh, and I, um, I was on Q Tracker, of all things, checking out our heads to heads. <laughs> like I've got, I've got fully immersed myself in the role of pundit now. I'm reviewing my own matches, you know. Uh, but I was there looking at the headsets. I hadn't realised that he, he he sort of you know won as many against me as he had. In fact, he he led the head-to-heads you know quite by some distance uh, going into the match. So you know he's beat me in a number of big occasions. This week it was my week. Things lined up for me, and and, and that's the thing. But you know he, he'll have other weeks. Uh, he'll have other weeks in the sun for for sure. And um, uh, yeah, it's been a great a great few weeks for Ali, you know, and myself. Well, let's just talk about this week. Because it wasn't without controversy, okay? You don't go anywhere without controversy. You've always got to upset someone. This week, it was the national treasure, the lovely lady, the wonderful, one of the finest sports broadcasters we've got in Jill Douglas. What were you thinking? Just tell us what you said. What happened? I, I, um, I was wound up. <laughs> well, I noticed. Yeah, in case you didn't notice, I was in a bad mood. Uh, and um, something had happened at the interval, um, which had annoyed me uh, and uh, was unresolved. And, um, I, you know, it'd be wrong to say it nearly cost me the match. You know, it didn't. But, you know, I, it, it bothered me. And um, I don't really want to go into what okay. it was. But but, um, but but it annoyed me. And um, it had nothing to do with my comments uh, after the game, but something had happened. And then, and then... I'd overheard with the commentary earpieces that we can hear in the arena when we're playing. Yeah. You know, a lot of the members of the audience have them turned up far too loud. I'd heard somebody use the phrase uh, loss of concentration or lapsing concentration. 
Um, whereas actually I knew I'd missed a shot for a very good, quite easy to explain technical reason, which the commentator had either chosen to ignore or, 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 or didn't know. Um, and so when I walked in the studio, coupled with my annoyance from what had happened at half time, um, Jill Douglas could have asked me what colour underpants I was wearing. <laughs> um, and my answer would have been the same. Uh, you know, I was, I was already, I'd already spiralled out of control. I was very annoyed. Uh, I'd come through quite an intense, difficult match against Selby. Yeah. Uh, and from one of the rare moments of my career, you know, I, I lost my professionalism. And um, uh, I, 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 well, I don't think it was what I said. I, I think it was what the way I said it. Um, it came across far too aggressively towards her. It, it, it came across as if I was saying uh, that she'd, um, you know, been lazy in her questioning and lazy in her journalism. And that that wasn't what I meant. Yeah, I think you were talking very generally, weren't you? That, I was. that a lot of people say this. Now, what was it that she said that annoyed you? What was it that, that pressed that button? I think I think I think she said from memory something like, "Oh, uh, there was a few mistakes in the match, and Mark nearly got back into the match. Were they from lapses in concentration or right. something Sean, like that?" And you and you said that's lazy journalism, right? Now, Mister Murphy, one of our listeners flagged this, so I must bring it up. Just listen to this clip, if you would, from our previous episode of the podcast, and this is you talking. I, I had a chance to win the next round. I was just too giddy. I was just too excited. Uh, lost my concentration. I could see in the Eurosport bubble studio, they'd put my chair in to interview me. They thought I was going to clear up and win. You lost your concentration, did you say then? Oh, dear. I suppose, I suppose all, I, all I can really say is that, all I can really say is that as Ken as Ken rightly questioned me about it in the studio after I'd made my comments. Of course, every now and again, <laughs> we, we will miss a shot or make a mistake through a, through a lapsing concentration or, or, what, or whatever phrase you want to, to use. But my, I think what annoyed me most was that the, the mistakes I had actually made in the Selby match, they were so obviously not that. Yeah. Um, and and it, and it and just as a, just from an analytical point of view, it, it winds me up sometimes where I feel as if the and it could be could be golf, it could be tennis, yeah, it could yeah. be any sport. Um, I just it's just an easy avenue out. It's as if it's as if the commentator can't be bothered explaining to the public what actually happened there. Now, either the commentator doesn't know and isn't capable of explaining it. Or they can't be bothered. Yeah, I don't or know, but, but either way, I've got to say you you put your an apology out on social media, which I, I thought was actually was was good grace. Actually, I thought you um, I thought you did well. <laughs> I had I, I texted you, didn't I? <laughs> I was I was watching that, yeah. and I had to text you. Put your shovel down, son. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, listen. In all seriousness, and and, I, and I'd like to address this and address this properly because it's important. Like, there's nobody on the tour who's gobbier than me. Like I, I know that, and it's a tag I've worn for twenty years, and and you know what? I'm happy to carry it because I am opinionated. I do have an opinion on most things, um, and I'm happy to give it. Um, but you know, when you give as much of it as I do, one of the things you've got to be able to do as well is hold your hands up and accept when you're wrong. Absolutely. Uh, and and I was wrong. I spoke to you about it privately. Yeah. I spoke to a couple of other people whose opinions I value privately. I watched the clip back. Um, 
and despite my tweet saying in no way did I mean uh, to cause offence to Jill Douglas, of course, when you watch the clip back, there is no other way it can possibly be, be taken. I was completely out of order with the way I said it. Uh, I, I apologised to Jill privately. That did get picked up by, by a journalist backstage. There was no way of avoiding that. Um, and everything was, everything was fine. I didn't mean it. I was, I was emotional after the game. I was stressed. Uh, my tongue got the better of me. Um, but, you know, I'm not the first person that that's happened to. I did what I thought was the right thing. I took a, took a day to think about it. Um, I thought I was out of order, and I apologised for it. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully the snooker gods will allow me to move on from that. Listen, if I didn't think it was all sorted and resolved, there's no way I'd be joking about it on the podcast right now. Just for the record, we both love Jill Douglas. She is a national treasure. She is one of the finest sports journalists that we have in the country, one of the sports broadcasts in the country. As I said to you on Twitter, if you want some lazy journalism, don't worry, we'll be recording another podcast very, very soon, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always on hand to deliver a bit of laziness for you, no problem at all. Let's go back to snooker. So, your game has been trending in the right direction. <sighs> okay. That is such a lazy statement. Such a lazy bit of journalism from me, that. Looking at the breaks that you've been making, I know I joked before that you made six of the top seven breaks at the Players' Championships. Joe kind of sneaking in there at number six. You got the high break prize, obviously, for the 147 at the Welsh. You got the high break prize this week as well at the Players. Just purely looking at the breaks that you've made in the last couple of weeks, have you ever played as well as this? Never. No, never. Um, I've, had the odd, I've had the odd little match or burst of frames which have been similar. I've never played in my entire career as a professional snooker player, as well as I've played in the last two weeks. Never. Um, now, I, you know, I've won bigger tournaments and obviously everyone flashes up the 20, you know, the 2005 World Championship as a 22-year-old, came from nowhere, the UKs, the Masters. I didn't play as well then as I played in the last two weeks. Um, and if I can find some way of sustaining it, then... You know, who knows what could happen in the next three events. We've got the WST Classic, Tour Championships, which I'm now in. I wasn't in this time a yep. week ago. Um, and, of course, the season-ending World Championships. If I can find a secret method of sustaining whatever it is I've found, of cultivating it, looking after it, nurturing it, and remembering to bring it on the ferry next time I come from... <laughs> um could be dangerous so what's, um, what, what's if I made... play like that if i play like that there are only a couple of players in the game who can come with me yeah uh, what's made the difference i mean you know you look at the last couple of years it's not it's not been a great couple of years you alluded to it in your post match you know you you said that yourself it's, it's been a it's been a tough old trot um What's made the difference? Because as we as we've said, this has been coming. It's not it's not a great shock. It's the direction the game's been going in. You know, were Lazowski not red hot at York? You could have gone through in the UKs. You lost out in the English Open very narrowly with that, that missed the middle pocket against Selby. You know, it's been going very much in the right direction. What's made the difference? What's made the change? Can you can you sort of pinpoint the one or two things? Do you know the big problem I've got is that, as any scientist will tell you, when you run an experiment, you're trying to change one thing at a time. Yep. 
you know what's responsible for any change. The problem is I've changed quite a few things. Um, and so I, I couldn't tell you specifically exactly what it is that's responsible. I've changed a number of things, though. Um, one of the things I've done uh, is gone back to something I used to do very, very early on in my career, even going back to being a junior player. Uh, and that is I've set some really specific difficult to reach goals and targets for myself, things that are going to stretch me, things that are going to get me working hard, put me out of my comfort zone, things I wasn't 100% sure I could actually achieve. Um, so I've done that. Um, and I've made a couple of technical tweaks into how I aim, a few strategic tweaks into what shots I choose to play and when I play them. But I suppose the biggest change I've made is to myself. And that is, I've been, I've tried to be a bit, bit more lenient on myself uh, when I make mistakes. Understanding that a perfect performance is accepting playing imperfectly, uh, and um, you're never going to not miss. Um, despite having watched me for two weeks, I've hardly <laughs> missed a ball. Yeah. Uh, you're still never going to not miss a ball. That's that, that is going to happen. Um, and I've tried to bring a bit of fun back into my live on tour it's been a tough few years phil uh, and um my my pa robbie who travels with me you know one of the great things he has in his locker is a great sense of humor we have such a great time together when we're away the the it just releases the pressure it just takes the pressure valve and it releases it i've been spending a lot more time interacting with you know a lot of followers on socials and a, a lot of fans out there just trying to be a bit more chilled out and a bit more social with everybody and uh, making snooker not the be-all and end-all, you know? It was, it was funny, actually. In uh, Clandidno last week, we, on the Sunday morning, me, you and Robert went for a coffee in uh, in Starbucks. Other, well, <laughs> coffee establishments are available. Um, they are available, but they may as well not be. Starbucks is available. There was one... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was a Costa advert on this pod just the other week, so careful, John. Um there was one table available when we got there, right in the window, and the amount of people walking past, it was all walking past, double-taking, and going, that's Sean Murphy there, he's playing in the final this afternoon. It was really, really funny, and I think people were quite surprised just how sort of chilled out you were, really, and, and relaxed. Um, I was going to mention, Robert, you brought him up in your post-match last night, you mentioned him a couple of times recently in interviews, and obviously I know the pair of you, I know Robert very well, um, and I know what goes on, but just... Fill everyone in on, on the part that, that Robert plays, because other than when he's stealing chocolate oranges off your windowsill. <laughs> other than when he's Spider-Man suit on. And yeah, with the, <laughs> I'd love to see Robert in a Spider-Man suit, by the way, just, just for oh. the record. What a sight that would be. Now, I'd like to go on record and say I do not want to see that. <laughs> no, actually, neither do I. Let's be honest, Robert, please don't. Um, um, what does he do? What, what part does he play? Because you, you keep mentioning him and saying, you know, it's a solo sport, but it is a team sport. Um, what what does he do? What what does he offer? Well, it's funny because a few years ago, I had this argument, which will surprise nobody. Um, I had an argument on Twitter with um, a very well-known golf social media account, Sky Sports Golf social media account, where we were talking about what's the hardest solo sport. And of course, Sky Sports Golf were punting for golf. And I, I made the point that, you know, golf isn't a solo sport because certainly at pro level, you have a caddy. And that caddy is there. With, the caddy isn't just a bag carrier. The caddy isn't just somebody who tells you how far it is to the hole. 
you know, they're telling you to focus and whispering sweet nothings into your ear and almost acting as psychiatrist and psychologist all wrapped into one. But they're a very notable figure amongst the professional golf ranks. And, and to some degree, you know, your Jack Trumps and your Taylor Wilsons uh, and your Robert Murphys are like the caddies of the snooker world. You know, Robbie, Robbie isn't out there potting any balls, but he's doing everything else. Uh, and a lot of his work would certainly go unseen by the snooker family. They wouldn't know what was they wouldn't know what he was doing. Um, but he he is he is on tour. His official title is PA. He he, he assists me uh, when we leave our homes in Dublin. And and his role is to help me in in any way whilst we're away to make my job of putting those balls in those pockets easier. That might be de- that might be organising tickets. That might be looking after sponsors, might be hosting guests. It's practicing in the practice room, picking balls out. Um, just anything that can mean that I have as much of my concentration and attention available for the match, for the situation uh, available to me, rather than using it to spend on other things. The other thing as well, as you know as yourself, having worked away for so long in your career, it's bloody lonely like. Yep. Uh, and um, spending so much time away from your family, from your children, from your friend, is hard. And that's a side of it people don't see. And just having somebody with me, now don't get me wrong, there are times when I would happily throw him out the window. <laughs> you can't say that. Very happily throw him through the window. Um, but you know, he's one of my best mates. And if I, it, it, you know, he, he would take a bullet for me. Uh, and... Uh, I'm never going to ask him to do that, of course. Yeah. But you, you, that 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 loyalty, you know, I've spoke about that word a few times in recent months because I've had a few people in my life who've pretended to be loyal. Actually, they were only in it for the money. And and I know from first-hand experience that Robert Murphy, one of the most highly decorated amateur snooker players the Republic of Ireland has ever produced having spent last season with me where I earned virtually no money and paid him virtually nothing, isn't in this for the money. Yeah. And that means everything. He's in it for the chocolate oranges, Sean, isn't he? Let's be honest. We all know that. (laughs) No, do you know what? Fair fair play. I I tweeted earlier on, actually. Fair play. Um, He is there. And he's he's there not just through the, the winning the Players' Championship, the runner-up at the Welsh Open. He's he's there for the uh, the qualification losses. He's there for the first-round losses, you know, and he's there, which is the main thing. Now, fair play and hats off to you, Robert. Um, in doing what you did last we might, night... We, we might have to stop praising him. At yeah, day. we're done now. We've we finished. Let's be honest. We're just I, Robert Murphy loving, if that's... You know, can we stop that? We all know that your form this season is down to the fact that you use this podcast as therapy. That's what's in, improved your game. It's all down to the podcast. In fact, if any other players want to come on instead of Sean, I charge a very reasonable fee for this kind of therapy. So just give me a call. You know where I am, guys. I'm not that busy with other things. Um, say what you are. You're cheaper than my actual therapy. <laughs> I'm cheaper than bread. <laughs> what are you on about? In winning last night the Players' Championship, um, you became just the 11th player in the history of the sport to get into the double figures of ranking titles, tying with Jimmy White 
on 10. I know these things mean something to you. They, they don't to some, or some people say they don't to them. But I know these things do mean something to you. If you look at the number of players who have won a ranking event, then you look at the number of players that have won multiple ranking events, it's actually very small. You're only the 11th player to get into double figures. That's that's massive, isn't it? Massive to me. Um, you, you know, I, I, I see a lot of comments and I've read a lot of things and I've been part of conversations for a long time about, you know, I should have and could have and would have won more tournaments. But, you know, winning's not easy. Um you know, if you'd said to me at 22 years of age, you're only going to win one world title, you know, I would have called you a liar. You know, at 22, I thought I would going to go on and win a few, you know. Win, winning just isn't that easy. Uh, and um, as I said the other day in an interview, I've got a lot more accustomed in recent seasons to giving the loser and the runner-ups uh, speech at the end of tournaments. In fact, my wife, Elaine, joked with me last night. She said, you know what, you're actually much better at the runners up speech, you know? <laughs> uh, and do you know what? She's right. You know, I, I didn't. You know, the, you know. There's so many self help books out there, and you go in Waterstones or Eastons or wherever you might go, and anyone who actually buys books anymore, I'm sure we all get them digitally, of course. But you know, there are very few books out there to teach you how to deal with success. And, and so, when you win something, it's not always easy to know what the right thing is to say, what don't to say, and this, that, and the other. But yeah. Getting to 10 ranking tournament wins was something, you know, a goal I set myself quite a few seasons ago. I, I, I was aware that it's quite a small club of people who've done it. Um, it's taken me a little bit longer to get there than I wanted to. But, you know, I, 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 I'm very, very proud to be able to say I've got there. Um, it's nice to have that briefly over Mark Allen. And <laughs> It probably will be brief with the way he's playing as well. Let's be it honest. will be briefly. I know I've got to get it. I've got to get it in there. He hasn't got a podcast yet. Of course, nobody would listen to it if he did. <laughs> and um, uh, I've got to get that in there before I go any further. But no, in, in all seriousness, it, it, it is, you know, I'm over the moon. I, I am genuinely over the moon. Not 24 hours since I, I, I won the Players' Championship uh, and um, uh, have, have achieved these things. Of course, I sat there last night with a glass of wine with my dear friends, John Wilson and Kevin Johnston, uh, and Carl as well, who came to to support me there in Wolverhampton. These are people who've been with me from the start. Uh, they've known me since I was an eight-year-old boy. Uh, and we sat there, and I got my phone out, and I showed them. I wouldn't show it to many, but I showed them my goals that I wrote for the start of the season. And last night, I was able to tick off three of them. Wow. You know, to win a ranking event. It got me in the tour, champs, and it got me in the champion of champions. Yeah, and that was really nice to be able to share that with them. There were three little targets I set myself: the, the win last night, um, not just getting ten ranking titles, but the win last night. Managed to tick those boxes uh, and share that with them. That was lovely, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying to reach my next target. Fantastic, onwards and upwards. Right, we are going to take a couple of moments break, but we will be right back after these few messages. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. 
Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words at 147pod. Thanks for sticking with us. Right, now, just before we do move on, um, something that's, that's sprung to my mind, obviously you've had a real resurgence this season, you, your game's picked up. The one and two on the one-year list now, I mean, Mark Allen is, is way up there, isn't he, let's be honest. You're now second, I think. Um, yeah. And the pair of you have lost a whole bunch of weight between you by whatever method you use. We've, we've talked about this extensively on the podcast. What parts that played, do you think? Uh, well, I can only speak for myself. Um, and for me, it's played two, two roles. Um, one is a self-esteem. Um, you know, there have been times right up until I had the surgery on May the 10th in 2022, right up until then. So that would take in last season's uh, World Championships and every event prior to that, where I didn't want to go out. I was embarrassed. I was mortified about the way I looked in my suit, uh, the way, you know, the amount of negativity that was out there on social media, um, you know, the, the things that were being said and written about me were, were you know, they weren't very nice. But self-esteem, you know, you don't feel good in yourself. Um, you just you just don't feel 100%. And, of course, those those little voices in your head um, that seem to come out just when you don't need them, just when you need that positive voice in your brain, uh, the little negative one rolls out and goes, yeah, well, you know, if you weren't so fat, uh, maybe you'd be all right. You know, if you weren't so this or, yeah, well, you probably did. Why don't you order yourself another pizza and why don't you do this? You know, that voice... Um, he, he was starting to talk a bit louder. And I, in the last few months, he's gone away. Good. And, and I put my suit on. And I joked with Rishi Passad in the studio last night. Uh, he said, oh, the Murphy strut was back this week. What's been the difference? And I said, like, you know, when I put my sparkly trousers on, I become somebody else. <laughs> you know, I, those sparkly trousers didn't fit me Yeah. six months ago. I had them made for the World Championships, and by the time the World Championships came around, I was too big to fit into them. And so I was deeply embarrassed about that. I'd committed to wearing them, and I couldn't wear them. I had to get last-minute sponsorship logos put on a different suit that I had to have specially made because I couldn't fit into my other one. So the self-esteem was on the floor, yeah, and that's changed. Brilliant. Um, so that's led to feeling better. That's led to feeling better, more positive out there in an arena, uh, which has led to better performances. Um, secondly, from a technical point of view, I can get lower to the shots. I can get into more of a traditional strike position. Um, 
you know, my, my big belly isn't in the way anymore. I can get flatter to the table. I don't feel as hot and as sweaty and as unfit uh, in my suit. I'm wearing a three-piece suit with a bow tie, uh, you know, and all the rest of it. You know, under stage lighting, as you know yourself, yeah. working on TV, it's, light, it's hot under the lights. Um, and you wouldn't get that from watching at home. You know, you, when you're under those staging lights, which are bright so people can enjoy watching it, um, you're hot. Yep. And the stress comes on and the tension comes on. Now you're a bit sweaty and th- then you, you, you've got to rush to studio and the sound man's putting the microphone up your back and he's, oh, my hand's a bit wet. You're sweating, goodness me. You know, all of that stuff, that's all gone. Um, and it just makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. And because of that, you, you perform better, you think more clearly, and you make better decisions. And all of that rolls into, you know, a, 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 a slightly better performance. Brilliant. Well, long may it continue. So, fantastic. Right. We need to move on. Before we do, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone I've met this weekend. I've been over in Denmark um, for a boxing show. Second time I've been out there. Great people over there. A few people that, that knew me from the snooker, which is which is brilliant. Um yeah, it's, it's been incredible over there. So it's, yeah, just thank you to everyone that I've met over there in Denmark. Sean is waving at me. Go on. I've never been to Denmark. Top two things about Denmark. Go. Well, right. No, well, just a second, because everyone asks me, oh, what's Copenhagen like? <laughs> Nowhere near it. I was right over the other side of the country, right over in the, the west side of the country. Top two things about Denmark, the people. Everyone there is so friendly. It is untrue. They're absolutely brilliant. The last time I went, over over here, when we have boxing, it's tradition now, you play Sweet Caroline before the main event. Everyone sings it. Everyone goes, ba, ba, ba. So good, so good, and all that. Okay, and a lot of people are getting bored of it now because it's been happening for quite a few years. They'd never done that in Denmark. So the last time I was there, we had a big gap. There was five fights, five knockouts. We had a big gap to fill. So I said, do you do Sweet Caroline here? No, no, never done it. Well, should we do it just to fill a bit of time? They said, yes, we did it. And I, I basically asked the crowd to stand up, and they did. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Normally, you ask a crowd to stand up, and they look at you like you're mental. But they did, and they all joined in. They all loved it. It turned out, Friday night, on the local news over there, there was a piece about me coming back because I'm this crazy ring announcer from England that gets everyone through Sweet Caroline before the main event. And there was like, a piece on the news about it. And he's like, what? Anyway, two and a half thousand people in this arena, in the Corkier Arena uh, in Holsterbro on on Saturday night, right before the world title fight, oh, Dina Thorsland. Sorry? Did sorry? you sneeze? I did not sneeze. No. Oh. <laughs> Corkier Arena. Oh, sorry, bless you. In Holsterbro, Denmark, right before the main event, they'd asked me this time, they're like, look, you've got to do Sweet Caroline. The TV company have, have demanded it. Did it. Two and a half thousand people to a man. All of them stood up, arms in the air, the atmosphere was ridiculous. It was incredible. So the people, firstly, everyone is friendly. Everyone is great. Um, secondly, having been out for a little while on Saturday night, I'd probably say the nightlife because the nightlife was, was brilliant. Uh, I shan't tell you too much about it, but it was a great night. It was a really, really good night out in uh, in Holsterbro, and I shall be back before too long. Later on in the year, in fact. So there you go. That was that. Now... Sean, it is where we normally do your rant. I think you're probably too happy right now to rant, are you? Uh, I reckon I've got a rant in me if you wanted one. I if, you've, rant. if you've got uh, a rant in you, I shall... Can we, 
Can we bend the rules? Ooh. Can we mix a couple? You, you, do you know what? You're the players' champion. I reckon on this occasion you can do whatever you like. Brilliant. The time Find will. The clock up, Phil. I'm ready to the go. time will start when I say rant. It will end with the clacks and magician. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Three, two, one. Rant. Right. I've been waiting to get this off my chest for a couple of weeks. Last time out, I only got to rant about it for a couple of seconds. First part of the rant this time round is as we go now. Who are these people who put sweet wrappers back in the tins? I'm thinking Quality Street, Roses, Celebrations. Last time out, I spoke directly to my six-year-old son. Cover your ears, Harry Murphy. Harry Patrick Murphy. But I know that he's not the only... There's plenty of you lot listening to this podcast who do this. What is wrong with you? Because then someone comes to the tin of Quality Street, they open it up, they think, oh, all my fake... Oh, no, they're not here because the rappers are... Put them in the bin. Put them in the bin. Don't put them back in the tin. That's simple. Right, that's part one. Part two is very pertinent to this week. Who are these people who come to the snooker, who, who cough and sneeze and splutter all the way through the game. You're on your backswing, like I was last night, on a one four seven, and just at the point of no return, someone decides that's the moment they've got to cough, or they've got, just hold it in. Just don't do it. What is wrong with you? NHS England, instead of all these polls and all these tests of GPs, they should just come to a snooker event to take the temperature of the country. When we were in deep in darkest pandemic, they should have just come to a snooker event and tested everyone. Because it's a mass... Everyone's got a cough and a cold, apparently. Right. It doesn't... No, I know you've done the clack. I know the clack's in a <laughs> Right, but I, I want to put this out there. And I, I, I don't want to alienate the snooker fan at all. But if we go to the West End, if we all go to watch Les Miserables or something else, you won't hear one cough or sneeze. Right. Now, if someone needs to cough no, or sneeze, they need it. to cough or just sneeze. Stop. Just Mo- don't do it. Mobile phones, absolute no-no. But surely if someone needs to cough or sneeze, they have to cough or sneeze. On the sweet wrappers... Oh, my dad, when we were kids, right? You know, after eights, after eights come in that long rectangular box and they all have the little black envelope thing that come in, yeah? The just be careful here because it, just be careful because after eights are elite level. Oh, they're incredible. Elite level sweets. Made in, made in York, of course. The greatest city on the earth. I used to live right opposite the factory, the now Nestle, formerly Roundtree's, where they make them. And on the days they were making them, the whole smell of the city was incredible. It was dark chocolate and mint. And I used to open my front door and just breathe, probably why I'm fat actually, and just breathe in dark chocolate and mint and it, it smelt incredible. But my dad used to take the After Eight out of the little black wallet that it sat in but left the paper bit in the box. So you'd come to a box of After Eight, you'd open it up and think, oh, it's full. And there's none in. It's just full of paper wallets. <sighs> Dad, your father, your father and I would not have been friends. No, we we wouldn't get on. I now I think the people that do this, the people that put them back in, are the same people that take the little foil lid off the milk 
and leave it on the side in the kitchen and then put the plastic cap back on. I think they are the same psychopaths that do that. They've got to be. Who, who are these people? Who, who are they? Well, your son and my dad. <laughs> Two very genetically closely related people to us. I'm not, I'm not sure what this says. We should probably <laughs> shut up for now, shouldn't we? Just just a second while I cough and sneeze. <laughs> The problem, the problem, just moving on to the coughing and the sneezing, right? The the, pro- the problem is there because I know I can hear people already going, "Oh well, hang on a minute. What about the darts? Because when they're at the darts, it's four thousand screaming people. You know, I've had I've had Will, I've had Wayne Mardle on to me this <laughs> again, bringing up the whole what's easier, the one four seven or nine darter. You know, he brought out these statistics in inverted commas. I think he made them up on the back of some packet somewhere, like you know. Um, and I had to go back to him. I was. I went back to him on Twitter. I said, "Don't worry, snooker fans, I've got this." Anybody, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it. Anybody who thinks the nine data is easier than a one four seven needs send into a desert island on a one way fair. Wow, you've gone there. We right now we we do still intend to to resolve this to settle this argument once and for all. We will do it. We just need to get get everything aligned and get all the people in the in the right place one time. So there you go, coughing and sneezing on Sean's backswing when he's on for a one four seven. He got the high break prize of ten grand anyway, and he's still moaning. And he goodness me. And those people that put sweet wrappers back in the box. What do you reckon? At one four seven pod across all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're everywhere pretty much. At 147pod, what do you think? Are you one of these people? Were you the phantom sneezer on the backswing in the final yesterday that stopped Sean achieving perfection this week, as he had done in Clandidno the week before? Was that you? If it was, I don't know, strepsils, <laughs> benelin, whatever it is you need, just take it next time you go to snooker. Right, moving on to a few listener questions. We've got a few minutes, so let's, let's do a few we didn't get any in last time, and we, we've had loads in, so we'll we'll get through as many as we can. First of all, I'll deal with this one myself. Hayden Papworth on Twitter. Love the pod. Thank you very much. Question for Phil. I'm visiting York for the first time soon. What are the five places I have to visit? Hayden, get your pen and paper ready. York Minster, absolute no-brainer. The Bar Walls, best way to see the city. Walk all around the city on those. Fantastic. Clifford's Tower, wonderful. The Castle Museum which has got an old traditional street. You can see Dick Turpin's prison cell. Absolutely brilliant. And then you've got a choice of two. If you're into Vikings, you've got the Jorvik Viking Centre. If you're into beer, you've got the Maltings Pub, where our mate Sean will look after you, and he's got the hottest chilli on earth, as well as some very, very good beers. So there you go. You've sort of got five and a half, six there, really. Moving on. If anyone else wants any any travel advice on York, just get in touch. when did you start working for the York Tourist Board? Well, it's an unpaid role, but I think they ought to start giving me something, to be honest. But there you are. Someone asked. Thanks. I have answered their question. Next up, Prouder Darling on Twitter asked a few questions. I like this one. With no consequences to health, etc., what would or how would you eat and drink your way through the perfect day? So let's start with breakfast then, Sean. Perfect breakfast. There's no there's no health or weight consequences. Perfect breakfast. Eggs, Benedict. Smoked salmon and scrambled eggs for me. You're so posh, it's a joke. 
says Mr. Eggs Benedict over there. <laughs> what, what was that little Lord Fauntleroy? Egg, eggs, Bene- eggs Benedict, my scrambled eggs are posh. What? <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Okay, then. Lunch? Sorry? No, dinner first. Dinner, which is served at dinner time, like when you get dinner ladies at school. So dinner? Goodness, this is another. This, oh wow! Wow! Din- you, know, you, think, you, know, you think you know somebody, don't you? Right. Okay. Who were the ladies in the tabards at school? Who yeah. were the ladies in the tabards at school? Yeah, they're the dinner ladies. They're the dinner ladies. Why are they called dinner ladies? Because they make your dinner. Because they're there at dinner time. Okay. So were they round your house in their tabards in the evening? Were they while you were watching Neighbours? No, they weren't. They were at school yeah. at is dinner time. Called- Everything taught at school, absolutely truthful. Dinner ladies, or dinner bags, as we used to call them. Don't avoid the question, Philip. Yeah, pretty much everything I was taught at school was true, I'd suggest. I'd hope so, anyway. But yeah, dinner ladies, at dinner time. So dinner, what are you having? Uh, Yeah, I've not thought this through. Um, Because I'm not sure what I'm going to have for... for Tea. what do you call it? Tea? Tea, obviously. I'm not sure I'm going to have tea yet. Because uh, surely that you have that at tea time, correct? I don't want to get into this. Right, okay. Dinner uh, ladies at dinner time. Tea at tea mm. time. Uh, well, uh, well, let's, just, let's, have, let's have one other meal then. So we've got our breakfast. Yeah. What, what's our other perfect meal? No health consequences. I think for me, it would have to be some form of Italian. I'm going to go for carbonara. Oh, nice. Nice. I'm going to go for... It's got to be serious meat. So I, either a proper nice bit of fillet steak or a bit of venison, something like that, with some ah, sweet potato chips or a nice mash of some sort. It's that some proper, proper red meat. <laughs> Sorry, vegans oh, and vegetarians all, out there. All, Apo- our, all our vegan listeners will yeah. be really happy about that. Apologies to Neil Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm having fish for breakfast and I'm having some kind of cow or deer for my tea. There we go. So the- <laughs> I'm sorry, the leopard can't change its spots, can it really? Okay, next up, Sean, are you going to ask this one? I'm just recovering from that. Uh, right, uh, Doogie Jones. I love the word Doogie. Doogie, he could be Dougie though. I, yeah, I prefer I can't Doogie. Say, can't say Dougie. Doogie Donnelly, isn't it? Every time. After Doogie Donnelly, absolutely. On Twitter, I keep hearing Sean use the term hill in commentary. Do we really need pool terminology to start infecting the snooker lexicon? I think well, if, if Aaron's playing, well, it's perfectly fine. Isn't it? <laughs> well, Dougie. Um, yeah, no, uh, I know what you mean, and, and I get it. There are lots of... Uh, terminologies that I wouldn't be comfortable using. Um, I like the phrase on the hill, meaning when you get to within one frame of winning that particular match, if it's best of nine, when you get to four, you're on the hill. Um, I think it gives quite a good description of of, of that position. So, uh, unfortunately, um, I shall continue to use it until the powers that be tell me otherwise. I've got to say, I don't think it's just a pull term either. I think hill... Hill is sort of, for, for someone that's, that's nearly won, is, is there for a lot of sports. I think it's just pull. Um, but, you know, Sean on a great... Isn't song referring to Castle on the Hill? Yeah. That sort, had, that sort of has a lean towards that. Uh, no. There is a song called Castle on the Hill. I don't think it's anything to do with that, to be honest. But, um, 
there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, you winning the final, 10 racks to four last night was uh, quite an achievement, I thought. Okay, Snooker Hair on Twitter. Ah, this is a good one. Other than Ross Muir, why do pros not wear a glove? I find mine really useful. Now, I would ask the question, do you also have a chalk pouch? Um, the day you see me with a chalk pouch, a magnet clip, <laughs> or any of these other little accessories, I'd like you to purchase me a one-way ticket to Dignitas. Right, now, Snooker Hair's actual question then. Why do pros not wear a glove apart from Ross Muir? Um, well, it's a funny one because a few seasons ago, I'm not sure, maybe six, seven years ago, um, we were out in China and we were in, I, thought, I want to say Haining Island or something like that for an event that might have been the World Open or it changed. Anyway, it was, it was, it was uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm sure. Uh, and the, the humidity was off the charts. And we all became very, very aware that we couldn't, none of us could play without a glove. You take the cue back and it just stuck to your bridge hand. You know, the humidity and the dampness got in the cue and your hands were sweating and all the rest of it. And only one of us had a glove. And it was the jester from Leicester. Really? Yeah. Wow. And who was I playing in the next match? Well, obviously Mark. Got to be. <laughs> the jester from Leicester. And before we went into the match, I absolutely ripped it out of him in the practice room that he was wearing this glove. I said, like, I think I might have even said, are you going to moonwalk into the arena? (laughs) You know, what is wrong with you? Why are you wearing that? Of course, we got into the arena and the queue wouldn't move across my bridge hand. Meanwhile, Mark's got his glove on and he's stroking balls in from, and I'm sat in my chair and I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I done here? He has done me like a kipper. Um, so there is room for one. Uh, all I can say is that obviously the majority, particularly now, the majority of the snooker that you see is played certainly in Europe uh, and in the UK, uh, uh, where the humidity conditions, all of that stuff tends to not be too bad. It's not too hard to cope with. Um, I don't suffer from sweaty palms. A lot of people do and a lot of people don't. There's a few people who, you know, you shake their hand at the start of the match and you have to dry your hand afterwards. Uh, but, you know, I've never been one of those people. Uh, so I, I don't need to wear one unless I'm in southern China where the humidity is off the charts. But um, I think I think with nine ball pool where these gloves are a lot more prominent uh, outside of the States, you know, like think of Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, places like that, Singapore, um, humidity would be off the scale there. So these things would be these things would be needed. What do you think about it? I, I think if it helps, you, you wear a glove. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think it looks a bit weird in snooker, but that's only because no one does it. It's only because no one wears them apart from Ross Muir. Um, mm. I, I think if Ross Muir were to suddenly start winning ranking events, I think more people would look at wearing them, but, but he hasn't done. Um, would it help? I think, like you say, if there, if it's not a problem, don't try and fix it. You know, if someone's struggling with it, if they've got a lot of moisture in their hand for whatever reason, then, yeah, it's good and it's going to help, isn't it? It helps in pool. But I think in pool, you're often trying to hit the ball a lot harder than you do in snooker. Snooker is more about, you know, kind of touching the ball a little bit, whereas, whereas pool, they're really, really putting some force on it. Um, 
and it's it's more rare in snooker you're playing that kind of a shot so that's probably why it's more prevalent in pool whether it's needed in snooker I don't know um, each to their own as I said I think if Ross Muir starts winning loads of events people will look at it um, until then or in, until like you say you go somewhere that's horrendously humid then I don't think it'll ever become a thing until that point um, one more question Sean before we move on to our pointless one because we are just coming up to the hour Best name of all time, Karen Rainbow on Instagram. Uh, how do you prepare for matches when it's roll on, roll off and don't know what time you'll start? That's a great question, that, because I've wondered this, if I'm honest. It's very difficult. It's really hard because um, there's the mental aspect of preparing to go to war uh, 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 and getting ready for a match. Um, and that's an aspect of things that are often overlooked with snooker is it's it's like proper warfare, you know, we're trying to beat each other. Uh, and it's, you know, sometimes it can look a bit jovial and obviously there's gentlemanly conduct and this, that and the other, but you are trying to beat the other player. There's no question about that. Um, and then from a physicality point of view, like how do you actually physically warm up for a game that you're not sure when's going to start? Um and often you can wander down to the practice room where you think that the match you're following on looks like it might finish. Uh, you wander to the practice room and there might be a practice table. For, you couldn't book one because you weren't sure when you were going to need it. This, that, this, that and the other. Um, it's really, really difficult. If you can be one of the lucky ones and know either a guaranteed start time or a guaranteed table then it's a, it's a slightly easier conundrum to fix. If you know that you're you know, like a Judd Trump or a Ronnie O'Sullivan who pretty much always play on table one, um, you can half kind of circumvent it and get yeah. around it a little bit. Um, it, it, is, it is one of those challenges that we have to face in multi-table, multi-player setups. It's just as uh, difficult as it looks, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's hard. Uh, and of course, you know, unlike pretty much every other sport in the world, we don't get the opportunity as snooker players to warm up on the field of play, on the court of play, on the table prior to a match. So you kind of have it, if you don't get it right, you're having to warm up and adapt in the match, um, which is very, very hard to do. So it's a very, very personal question, certainly multi table setups, uh, and something that, you know, to some degree we, we all struggle with. Absolutely. So there you go, Karen. I will caveat that it's the same for both players. That that's the only the only thing I would say. It is the same for both players, but there isn't really any way of preparing for it. It's just uh, it is what it is, and that's snooker. Right then. Thank you for your questions. Keep them coming in again on social media at one four seven pod all across social media. If you've got a question, send it in to us. We we try and not ask ones we've had asked before. We like ones that aren't just about snooker. I know this is a snooker podcast. It's not a snooker podcast. It's been very snooker heavy tonight, actually. But anything, ask us any question you like. We will endeavour to answer it if we can at 147pod across all social media. Right, the pointless question this week, Sean, and this one is for you. This isn't for me, this one. And it's quite pertinent given uh, given what you've just been up to. Pointless question this week is, would you rather never score another century... Or never win another ranking title. Hmm. Now I'm trying to work out whether in the wording of this question is it singular. So is my choice 
I can never score century breaks. You can never, against. you can either never ever get another century break, or you can never ever win another ranking title. Yeah, yeah. But I, this is tricky. This is tricky. Now, the right answer is obviously I'd rather never make another century because I want to win tournaments. That's the right answer. I would, I would, I would say that if I was a player. However, however, I know you like your big breaks, to, don't you? According to uh, according to Dominic Dale, um, I am the new PT Barnum of snooker, and entertainment is my industry. So I'm leaning towards certainly for the rest of the day. I'm leaning towards never winning a ranking title again. Wow. And making more century breaks. I feel like I feel like uh, equaling or perhaps bettering Stephen Hendry's record of seven seven six centuries is possibly the only Stephen Hendry record I've got any chance of getting anywhere near. Well, it's within reach. What are you on now? Six ten, something like that. Now after the last couple of weeks. Yeah, six something like that. Yeah, it's taken me a long time to get to six hundred. Taking me a week to get to six fifteen or whatever it is. So, <laughs> uh, at this rate of incline, Stephen's in trouble. But uh, in gen- genuinely, like that's probably one of the only Stephen Hendry records I stand a chance of beating. Um, so, uh, for that reason, I'm going to lean that way. Okay, fair enough. There you go. Well, you surprised me there, but there you are. Right. I don't want to scare you, Sean, but there is one more podcast left before we jump out of an aeroplane. Oh. My. God. Yeah. Yeah, I literally. No, I've, I've just looked now and figured it out, actually. the We've got one podcast in a fortnight's time. The next one after that is the day after we die a horror... Sorry, jump out of, a, a jump out of an aeroplane. <laughs> like, genuinely, genuinely now, genuinely, right? And I'm asking you, and I'm asking all our faithful listeners to get involved in this. Genuinely, guys, how are we going to get out of throwing ourselves out of a perfectly serviceable aircraft? At 15,000 feet. 15,000 feet. How do we get out of it? Just, I've got to say, by the way, chatting to John McDonald, and he said, he said, oh, it's amazing. When you jump out, you'll see the curvature of the earth. I'm like, you're not selling this to me. I don't want to see the curvature of the earth. I don't care. Quite frankly, I just want to land. But as Brendan Moore said to me, Every aeroplane I've ever got in, I've intended to land in as well. Thank you very much. Um, Peter Ebden told me the Earth was flat. Oh, Peter Ebden says a lot of things, mate, doesn't he? Let's be honest. <laughs> that in mind, I will endeavour to get John McDonald on the podcast. Okay, so on the next podcast, I will try and get John McDonald on. We're doing the parachute jump to raise awareness of Future Pathway, which is a wonderful not-for-profit organisation. John is very, very heavily involved with which helps to provide future careers and training for ex-servicemen and ex-service people and ex-sports people as well. It's an amazing thing that it does. Um, that's what we're going to be trying to raise awareness of. John's organised at all because he's a former para. Um, he's with the Red Devils. I'm going to try and get him on the next podcast to talk about it, to talk about Future Pathway and everything they do. Don't do it, don't, because he'll just talk us into it like he talked us into it in the first place. And that's our chance to get our excuses in as to why we can't do it, I think, because we, if we can pin him down to letting us get off the hook on the podcast, then we've got it on record, haven't we? So I'll try and get John McDonald on the next one. What are your plans, Sean? What are you up to? I know. Uh, 
just going home, you know, heading home. Uh, uh, we, my, my little boy Harry's got married to snooker, so we spent the day trawling up the country to near Newcastle to collect a six-foot snooker table that's star-made and it's these junior snooker. So we're taking one of those back in the car across on the ferry back does, to Dublin. Does he only get it if he promises never ever to put sweet wrappers back in the box? Yes. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but I'm going to tell him Uncle Phil hates him. Uh, and he's wow. Wow. Go near the quality street in ever again. Harry, if you're listening, Uncle Phil does not hate you at all. You do what you like with the sweet wrappers. All I can say is I look forward to the day that you can beat your dad on that table. Okay, I reckon it's about six months away. Thankfully, I'm going to sidestep that one. Thankfully, the after eights are kept in a cupboard that Harry can't reach. (laughs) As they should be as well. Well, listen... Safe travel, Sean. Well done once again on the last couple of weeks. It's been phenomenal to watch. Um, absolutely brilliant. Keep it going. Keep it up. Three more tournaments left. Win them all. And uh, let's see how things go. Thank you ever so much for listening to the 147 Podcast. Wherever you are on social media, we are at 147pod. Interact with us on there. But for now, hope you enjoyed it. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 